let's talk about the Lord. Why don't we? Uh, the blessing of the Lord, part three. We will finish the Beatitudes today, Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' first sermon. It's his first teaching that's recorded for us. It's three chapters long. We've mapped out, uh, the preaching team uh, got together uh, several days ago, and we mapped out uh, how the next chapters are going to flow. We did not come to a conclusion of how long it will take us to get through the Sermon on the Mount, but however long it takes us, we're cool with that. But today we're going to finish what he started with, which is what we know as the Beatitudes. So let's look at it here. Now Jesus, verse 1, saw the crowds. And he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Heavenly Father, we we love you and thank you. Um, You are worthy of all praise, because you are great. And God, I pray that your word would go forth today and change us in Jesus' name. Amen. The obvious word in this passage, as we have pointed out uh, the last couple of uh, weeks is uh, this word blessed. Uh, Depending on your background or how you read it, you would say like I did, blessed, blessed are. um, The root word or the Greek word for um, this word blessed is makarius, which means happy. Happiness is something we're all looking for, but it's not talking about a temporal happiness It is a prolonged happiness. Let's call it a lifelong happiness. And when Jesus starts this message, the Sermon on the Mount, he begins by telling us, you can have true happiness for the rest of your life. And it it doesn't have to be based on what's going on in your life right now. In fact, it should not be. It should be based on something different that would be lifelong, and let's also say eternal. Uh, I like to use the word joy because joy has a different connotation than happiness, right? Jesus is saying if you want true happiness in life, you can only find it in one place. It's in the kingdom of God. There are steps. There's a process to get into the kingdom of God. Um, and this is, this is kind of the plan of salvation if you go through it because uh, God's plan is that those who are in the kingdom understand that you don't have the keys to unlock the door. 
You don't, poor in spirit means you have no spirit alive in you. You are spiritually bankrupt. And you can't save yourself, in other words. And as you recognize that truth, you're also recognizing that in your state of spiritual destitute, you, your eyes are also open to what that actually means. It means your life is full of sin. <clears throat> My life is full of sin. Your life is full of sin. There's no one righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. When you realize that, it should grieve you. You should mourn. When you realize your bankruptcy, when you realize what that's based on, your heart should hurt. And that should cause you to humbly go to God who has the keys and ask for his help, his spirit to come alive in you. And I'm here to tell you, anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's yours for the taking, but there's a posture. You see that? I recognize who I am. I recognize what I've done, what's gotten me here. I recognize who can help me, and God honors that. And then he changes you, and you begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. He gives a, a very specific, practical example. I find it interesting. We saw it last week that he says mercy is the first characteristic. I submit to you two uh, reasons. First, mercy toward others, a merciful outlook, a merciful perspective is a reflection of what God has done for you. If God has shown you mercy, then you should show others mercy. If God has forgiven you, you forgive others. Second, mercy towards others shifts our dependence away from us and puts it where it needs to be, and that's on him. Uh, I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't have the strength. He does. So my merciful attitude and outlook shifts things, my problems, my dependence away from me and puts it on him. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, look at this, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's God. That's where we pick it up today. Verse 8, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. This beatitude actually sets up what begins in a long passage in uh, verse 17 and actually takes us through the end of this chapter. And if you just casually read this, pure in heart, for they will see God, it actually could contradict the first, poor in spirit. You might say, well, why? Well, what separates us from God? Sin. Sin does. Where does sin come from? Your heart. Murder, as we will see in coming weeks, is just a manifestation of anger 
that turns to rage and ultimately to bitterness and hatred, eventually causing someone to murder another person. Where does anger come from? Your heart. Similarly, adultery, it begins in the heart. In fact, you can go through the sin that we all have in all of our lives and ultimately track it all the way back to what started, where it started, your heart. Anger, malice, lust, jealousy, they all begin in the heart. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, which means that we recognize that we're all in the same place spiritually and we need God's grace. And so he says, blessed are, or then he says, blessed are the pure in heart. And you might say, well, well, wait a second. Who's pure in heart? If we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory and there's no one righteous, no, not one, and all sin comes from the heart... Doesn't that kind of contradict? And the truth is, they actually go hand in hand. Because you cannot be pure in heart until you recognize that you can't, you can't purify your own heart. You're poor in spirit. Spiritual depravity leads to humility. Then God can come in and purify you. Look at Ezekiel chapter 36. (coughs) He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart. Look at that. A new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your old heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you'll live in the land I I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people and I will be your God and I will save you from all your uncleanness. Blessed are the pure in heart Because they have seen God. When you're pure in heart, God has moved on your heart to cleanse you. That brings true joy. Jeremiah 31 puts it this way. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it. On their hearts, <clears throat> I will be their God. They will be my people. You may have left here two weeks ago thinking, and didn't Dr. Greggs do a great job, man? What a blessing. Um, he just, they, we had lunch with them on, on Sunday, and they could not say enough good things about this church. Um, it just blessed my heart. Um, to hear those things. And so I'm, I'm proud of my guys. I'm proud of my family. Thank you for, and, and you didn't even know he was coming. So what he got was completely, it's not like I prepped you up, hey, there's a guest coming, so be on your best behavior. <laughs> Wear your Sunday best. We only have one guy wearing a Sunday best. <laughs> and, 
And he get this, he's been here since Jan you, you came on the first Sunday of January, didn't you, Alejandro? Okay. And he's still wearing a suit. I don't I don't know. It's not because I told you to. I'm now releasing you from this obligation. <laughs> you may have left here two weeks ago thinking, well, how, how can I become righteous? Mercy sounds awesome, but you don't know what they did. H how do I do that? And here's the answer to the question. You don't. You don't do it. You can't do it. But look back here at, at, Jeremiah, at Ezekiel. Who doesn't love to just sit and read Ezekiel? Verse 27 says, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. It's not you. It's not by might, not by power, but it's by what? Your spirit, says the Lord. I will move on you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's the Holy Spirit living inside you that helps you to do your life with righteousness. If you want to know true happiness, you must let God purify your heart. And those who do that will see God. We're just watching the men over the weekend and in the presence of God. And, and um, some of the guys I, I, I saw this weekend worshiping, I've never seen it before. And I've never seen them do that. I had two guys come up to me and say, I've never wept in worship until Friday night. And these aren't like brand new Christians. These are men of God. But what they're allowing to happen is God rewriting things in their heart. They create space and he moves. Leads to another characteristic. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, <clears throat> for they will be called children of God. We have another counterculture kingdom characteristic here peacemaker. But I want you to think about these two words. Peacemaker, peacekeeper. You ever think about that? Peacemaker versus peacekeeper. God doesn't say to be a peacekeeper. They're very similar in if you just look at them. But I would submit to you, peacekeeping is not a quality of life. Keeping the peace. Hey, I don't like conflict. I mean, I don't want to cause problems. That's not good. That's not valuable. And God doesn't call you to do that. We are called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers don't just go with the flow. They don't just close their mouth and let things go on as they are. Peacekeepers do that. But look at it again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called 
children of God. Children of God are not peacekeepers. They're peacemakers. As children of God, we're not just called to be righteous. We're called to stand for righteousness. We're not just to run from sin. We're called to confront sin. And I believe that all too often as Christians, out of a desire not to offend, we allow things to go on that have a negative effect on the church and Christians. I mean, think about it. If something's wrong, something's not right, peacekeepers don't say anything. Well, I don't want to offend you. Well, I can't do anything about that. I'll just mind my own business. My religion, you know, my, my relationship with the Lord is personal to me. I'm not going to force God on my children. Oh, boy, doesn't the devil love that lie. <laughs> Young parents in the room, let me tell you, that is a lie that the devil loves to tell you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make waves. People, peacekeepers, they don't say anything. They just let it go on. They don't want to offend, and so they just move on. And, and I'm, let me just say, there's a time to just forgive and move on, okay? In fact, as I think about this, as writing this, I think more times than not, we're called to just forgive and move on. Someone shared with me one time something that had been heard through a third person well, somebody said this, and it wasn't even about this other individual. And, and he was like, you know, I, I just, I can't go back to church. And this person that was sharing with me was like, you know, what do I do with that? I mean, do I, should I call that? I'm like, you know, at some point, this, 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 is, a grown, this is a grown man, by the way, like an adult, who's a, really a boy who can shave, right? At some point, you got to put your big boy pants on and just forgive him and move on. But instead, you're, he's stifling himself, and by default, his entire family and future is what he's doing. And so, you know, good grief, good grief. Is this what we're talking, is this what you're angry about? Something that you th think somebody said because this person said that? <sighs> Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6, because there is a time to make peace. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out, because you're no peach. You're not immune to sin. The same thing can happen to you if you're not careful. Jesus gives us the model in Matthew chapter 18. If your brother or sister sins, 
Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. If they do not listen, then take one or two others along so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector because that's what they're acting like. Now, we have to use good judgment. Uh, one of the, the, you know, one of the problems I have with J- what Jesus says here <laughs> is uh, it, it doesn't give us a timeline. It gives us the instruction. It gives us the steps, but it doesn't, you know, you could very easily say, well, I went to the guy. He didn't do it. So now I'm bringing all my friends and we're going to attack him. Um, and he's, and, and pff, he wouldn't listen to all of us. Of course he wouldn't. Because you've done the wrong thing. And now you told the church. And he wouldn't even listen to the entire church. Well, of course he doesn't. He's embarrassed. He didn't mean to do it. You didn't give him an opportunity. Use the brain that God has given you. Use strategy. Use time. Notice both Jesus and Paul say who. It, it needs to be a Christian. Some of you have lost family members and friends, and you think that this, this applies to them. It doesn't apply to them. They're not believers. There's a, there's, a, there's a different way to deal with that, and I'm not talking about that today. Um, they, they also qualify it. It's sin. It's not personal preference. I don't think we should have a video wall. If I cared, I would have asked you. You didn't pay for it. My mom paid for it. Two weeks before she died. Praise God. She paid, listen to this, this is funny. She paid her tithe for the entire year. Two weeks before. She paid her tithe, let me put it this way, until the day she died. Isn't that cool? Isn't that something that we should all do? Yes. Let's move on. I'm not talking about tithing today. (laughs) Paint colors, drums. I think we should do hymns. Uh, You know, we sang How Great great Thou Art yesterday. It was powerful. Um, It's not on our list here. Yeah, but it should be. Well, you know, if you were the worship pastor, you could make that decision. You're not, and I don't suggest you talk to Eric about it. It was all I could do to get great as our God this morning. <laughs> and you know, listen, I, I, as a side note, <laughs> I, I never ask him to, to do songs. So if I'm not asking him, then... <laughs> and you know what's super cool? <laughs> when... Him, he's super cool. (laughs) There are so many times when my message lines up so perfectly with songs he put in in the system six weeks early. And I had no idea where I was going. We we don't talk about these things. I was driving over here on a Wednesday night uh, several weeks ago, and I was listening to a particular song, um, Same God. 
And um, I'm like, oh, you know, I should tell, I should ask Eric. It was already on the list for that Wednesday night. And then I was singing, um, I Love You, Lord. It's old school. I mean, it's one of my devotion songs I'll sing. And, and I was, that was as I was pulling in the parking lot. We, I had never heard us sing that song. He says that we have in the past. I, I must not have been here. Um, he pulled that one out of, uh, on the fly. It wasn't even on the list. Listen, God's got this. He, he really doesn't need your advice. Use strategy. If you see, if you see a brother or sister sin, okay, time, place, timing, time. Maybe they had a bad day. And you, you hey, you don't let the sun go down on my anger. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack this. Maybe you said the wrong thing in the wrong way. You said the right thing in the wrong way. Hey, give them the benefit of the doubt that, unlike you, they don't like to be told when they've done something wrong. I know you love it, and I certainly do. But, you know, give them some time to marinate on it. And then in a week or so, go back to them and say, hey, where, where are you at on that? What, what did that... Give me some feedback. I mean, you, you can... You could string that along for six weeks because the goal, listen, somebody that's walking in the Spirit, those of you who are, what does he say, uh, live by the Spirit, are not worried about kicking them out of the church. They're worried about restoration. The goal is restoration. The goal is not to get to step four. And if it takes you a year, one-on-one, 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 praise God. Praise God. He has taught you patience. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) Peacemaking, as well as righteousness, mercy, and purity, will not always lead to peace with others, and especially the world. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you were here on Wednesday night, we talked about this. Um, it's logical to assume, and I, you know, I, I do love you all, and I am proud of all of you. Uh, so when I say little jokes like that, um, it's funny to me, and it's funny to you, uh, and it helps us grow in Christ, right? Um, but you know when you're serving God, when you're obedient to God, God's law is right, isn't it? You can't argue with murder and stealing and adultery and all that. You can't argue that those are okay. You, there, his law is right. You can't win. But when you're obedient and when you're serving God, it's logical to think everything should work out. It doesn't. It doesn't. Jesus even says in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you, in me you may have peace. Because it ain't going to come in the world. Because in the world you're, you're going to have trouble. Storm's coming. Rain's going to beat down on that roof. 
Water's going to rise. Wind's going to beat against the walls of your home, of your heart. But listen to this. This world is not our home. Jesus says, I've overcome this world. And you can have peace in that. Psalm 34, 19 says, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. I love how the NLT puts it. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Isn't that good? ESV is probably the most widely quoted of this one. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Why is it that we have trouble in this world? Didn't God create the world? Didn't... I'll tell you why. Because he has released the rulership of this world to the enemy. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you, look at this, followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the devil. The devil rules. And so when you're righteous or standing for righteousness, when you're showing mercy, when you're pure, when you are a child of God, man, there's an enemy out there who is fighting against you. And Jesus says, don't be surprised by that. You know, you can, you can actually take some confidence in that. I think it was Pastor Craig Groeschel said something like, don't be surprised by a storm, but be concerned. Don't be concerned by a storm. Be concerned if you're not having a storm. And Jesus gives some examples as he wraps this up of what persecution will look like. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Why are you doing righteous acts? Why are you standing for righteousness? Why are you extending mercy? Why are you pure, living a pure life? Why? Because of Jesus. He's changing you. He's changed you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Listen, there's an eternity out there waiting for everyone. And this is temporal. That's eternal. In the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So how do you do that? How, do you, how can I rejoice and be glad when I'm in the midst of persecution? One word, remember. Remember. Jesus says, remember my words. Remember this. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be insulted. People are going to say all kinds of terrible things about you just because you're mine. 
Just because you're a child of God, people are going to attack you. It's going to look like this. You need to remember that. You need to remember who. You're in good company, though, right? Man, the prophets experienced the same thing. And so did the apostles, Christians throughout, believers, children of God throughout history have always had this problem in this world. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses, through the hand of God, through the Spirit of God, says this is how you do it. Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. Fix them. It's like a word picture. Fix them. Plant them. Where? On your heart and in your mind. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Think about that. Whatever you do with your hands, where, where are your eyes? On your hands. That's why people tie strings around their fingers so that they'll remember. Well, I've got to remember to do this. So I'm going to tie a stringer. And then you look at the string and you go, oh, man, what was I supposed to remember? <laughs> so unless you're a typer, you're looking at your hands. I'm, I'm taking piano lessons now. I used to be a typing teacher. It was super hard. <laughs> I looked at, I sat in the back of the classroom when I was in high school in typing class. And because I sat in the back, the teacher couldn't see me looking at my fingers. And, and um, if you're anybody type, like a solid typer in here. There's a few still. You're dinosaurs. Um, it's a lost art. Um, my wife used to be a legal secretary. So when I changed my major to business education, I, because I had learned by looking at my fingers, I couldn't break 30 words a minute. Could not break it for my life because I couldn't break the habit of looking at my fingers. And then Sandy and I started dating, and then I'm like, oh, I got to type. I got to do my exercises, and she could like type like 80 words a minute. I mean, she's like lightning. And she goes, well, I'll do them for you. So I'm like, sweet. So she did my homework. For <laughs> well, that didn't help my speed. Then I started teaching it. You see, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, even Sandy. So when I taught... <laughs> When I taught, because I knew just my kids, they can't get away with anything because I've already done it, and I know what to look for. Same thing with my students. I would, type, I would, I would uh, uh, tape paper over their keyboard. And so I said, you look at your fingers all day long, can't see them. And it helped me. That's how I actually learned to type when I was teaching. You want to learn something, start teaching it, and then you find out just how well you know it. Bind them, so I finished the piano thing. I realize that you have to look at both the music and your fingers because it's a longer deal. So that's been a hard thing for me as I'm trying to learn piano is to look at my fingers, so not that you care. <clears throat> Bind them on your foreheads. When you look at the mirror, what are you looking at? Where do you use your, your eye? You look at your face. There's a point behind, teach, look at this, teach them to your children. God's jo your job, God's command as a parent is to teach your children about him. And when do you do that? All the time. When you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, that's implied all the time. Write them on 
the door frames of your house. Do I, Lots of people, they have scriptures all over the house. That's cool too. The implication is everywhere you go, remember what God has done. Remember what he has said. And we have to because in this life you'll have trouble. There's a promise that follows it. If you carefully observe these commands, verse 22, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to hold fast to him, then look at this. The Lord will drive out your enemies. Every place you put your feet will be yours. And look at verse 25. No one will be able to stand against you. I don't know about you. I need to hear that. These last three weeks have been very difficult for a lot of people in this church. I think sometimes we need to look at where we're preaching and say, oh boy, I better be prepared because God's teaching us something. And I've asked people, who's going through a battle right now? I'm stunned when I see I'm not alone. I'm stunned when I see how many people are walking through a trial and a storm and it's, it's encouraging to look around and say, oh. So I say, look around you. You're not the only one. You're not alone. This is what happens in life. Remember, who delivers? God delivers. Who destroys your enemies? God does. Who provides for you? God. Remember that. Remember what he's done in the past. Remember what he's done for his children in the past. Remember what he's done with you in the past. What about when you were not a believer? When God came to the rescue then, he didn't bring you to this point just to take his hand off of you. He didn't bring you to a, a place of peace, to a place of forgiveness and purity just to say, okay, now you're on your own. No, no, no. He did it before. He'll do it again. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue every single time. Praise God. The worship team can come. I was praying this morning, and the Lord brought me to this story in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I believe that this is a word for us today. If you're going through a battle, a storm, the beginning, the middle, perhaps nearing the end, I'd just like for you to acknowledge that. Just You're going through it. My goodness. You're going through a battle. And listen, it, it doesn't matter. It, what matters is, is it a battle to you? Then it's a battle. You may say, oh, man, but it's, it's just... It doesn't seem like that, but it's a big deal to God if you're his. King Jehoshaphat is uh, the king of Judah at this time in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. They're under attack by three different peoples. They're all scared to death, understandably. He stands up in front of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord. And he says this, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not 
the God who's in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Remember who God is. Remember what God is. Remember what God can do. That's essentially what it's, and talk matters. Sometimes you need to verbalize these things out loud so you can hear them yourself because they're true. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before we got here? We got a problem here. It's a calamity, it says. It's a sword, but it could be a plague. It could be a famine. Listen, it could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be a, a disease. It could be an injury. It could be a work thing. It could be a relationship thing. It could be a financial thing. It doesn't matter when it's an attack and it's, in a, it's a storm. Listen, it's a calamity in your life. No one's faulting you for that. But look at what he says next. We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and save us. That's a proclamation. That's a declaration of truth. He just reminded himself of who God is. He reminds God of, you know, God, aren't you in heaven? Aren't you the most powerful thing? No one can stand against you, right? Right. Okay, here's my problem. I'm going to stand in your presence. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to tell you what's going on. You already know it, but listen, you have not because you ask not. Ask and you'll receive. And so here's... My problem, I know you hear me, and I know that you will save me. 